Reading this morning is from the second chapter of Hebrews, the 10th verse through the 18th verse. For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory it to make the captain their salva- their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sacri- sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Inasmuch then, as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, and through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, like he might be merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered Being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time uh, to be here uh, this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to gather in your name. We just pray, Lord, your blessings upon this meeting. Uh, We pray, Lord, you'd bless Jackie as he uh, delivers a message unto us. We just thank you for the privilege of serving you in Jesus' precious and wonderful name. Amen. Oh, what a glorious day. Isn't God good? Man, as we take a look at the the journey we've begun here in the book of Hebrews, so far, remember, what we've been looking at is the excellency of Jesus Christ, that He is greater than the prophets, that He is greater than the angels, and uh, in a week or so we'll see He's greater than Moses. We're talking about the superiority of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, God's Son, and what it is He has wrought for us, what He's accomplished for us. Remember, as we were looking through chapter 1, we were challenged with the idea, are you listening to Jesus? Because everything that God has to say, He has spoken through His Son. Jesus is the one to whom we go to receive God's word for us. What, what, what is it that, <clears throat> that God has to say? What is it that God requires? It has been spoken, has been given to us through His Son. So first we want to know, are you listening? So that we don't neglect, right? We don't want to neglect. What is it we don't want to neglect? We don't want to neglect this great salvation that has been wrought by Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear. There is only one name under heaven by which men, listen to this word, must be saved. There's only one name under heaven by which men must be saved. That is the name of Jesus Christ. The scripture declares to us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So we know All creation at one day is going to bow before Jesus Christ. But according to Romans 10, 9 and 10, we have that opportunity now. The Bible tells in Romans 10, 9 that if we confess the Lord Jesus, believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. That's the key to salvation. The key to salvation is coming to our Lord Declaring, bowing our knee, He is our sovereign King and we await His return. And as we consider those things, as we look at the book of Hebrews, 
It's just focusing on the excellency, <clears throat> excuse me, the excellency of Jesus Christ. All that he brings, all that he's done. And if we just, we're just going to back up one verse in Hebrews chapter 2, just so you can remember where we left off last time. In verse 9 it says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for a purpose, for the suffering of death. Then now he is crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for, what's the word? Everyone. Everyone. What does John 3.16 tell us? For God so loved who? The world. That he did what? He gave his only Son. He gave His only begotten Son. So as we look at what the Word is declaring to us, we need to look to Jesus. That's what Hebrews has been all about. And we're going to stay on that, on that concept all the way through the book. Put your eyes on Jesus. But we see Jesus. Earlier than that, in chapter 2, he's talking about the fact that God created man according to Psalm 8. That man might be crowned with honor and glory. That man might come alongside God and rule and reign and hold the world in subjection. But we see that that has not occurred. Right? What happened? Man fell. And in the fall of man, man has not received that glory. And man finds himself in a place where really the greatest enemy, the one that no one will ever defeat of mankind is death death wins every time or at least death did so we want to listen to jesus we don't want to neglect the salvation that jesus christ has wrought we don't want to neglect the victory that he gives so we want to have eyes to see we want to have eyes to see what he has done so as we work through these next eight verses really what we want to see why did jesus die what is he accomplishing? What is he accomplishing? And the key to that we see in the very next verse, verse 10. For it is fitting for him, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. It was fitting for him. Now, I don't want to get super complicated, but I just want you guys to... To kind of bear with me, I don't want to dive too much into the Greek. I just want to let you know that by Him and for Him are all things. We've now turned our attention to the Father. And we're going to pull out that point in a moment. The Father has decided, He has, in His reasoning, this is how salvation is going to be wrought. So He makes the captain of His salvation. Now we're pointing toward Jesus Christ. Perfect in suffering we see this purpose and plan of god so what is he doing through the cross bringing many sons to glory look we can't find our own way we're lost in the darkness of this world we we do the best we can and sometimes we still end up wrong right and that ever happened to you you start your day this day i'm just going to do this day right and you get to the end of the day and you go yep that wasn't it I did just not quite do it. That was that was maybe tomorrow. I'll do it right. So when we look at it, we need someone to show us the way. What did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. What's the next part? No man comes to the Father except how? By me. What did he say to his disciples? Come and follow me. Come, I'm going to show you the way. The captain of our salvation shows us the way, bringing many sons, many children, bringing disciples, bringing followers. He's bringing us to glory. He paved the way. Our job is to follow him, right? So when we talk about why did Jesus die, there are several things we're going to bring out. How is it that he's bringing many sons to glory? How is he accomplishing that? How is he bringing us to glory? The first thing we want to think about is he's bringing us to glory by sanctifying us into the family of God. (coughs) He brings us, makes us a part of the family of God. Let's look at it again. For it is fitting for him, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. For both he 
who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are one. For which reason, he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Here's what we know. In sanctifying many people to the Father, we want to realize the first part of that is it's based on the Father's will, His purpose. His purpose. This is what we know about God, guys. A holy God cannot look upon sin with any degree of allowance. A holy God can't sweep anything under the rug. A holy God can't say, yeah, that's just a little sin. A holy God has to deal, has to, has, to, has to judge that sin. So he cannot look upon sin with any degree of allowance. That's a holy God. A righteous God cannot but require the demands of the violated law be satisfied. A righteous God has to make sure that the violation is satisfied according to the law. According to the law. Righteous. If he's righteous... The law is the law for everybody. What do we see in our nation today? Is our nation a righteous nation? Does the same laws that affect you affect everybody? Are there some people for whom the law doesn't matter at all? For sure. For sure. That's unrighteous. But God is holy. He can't just abide sin. God is righteous. There must be a judgment for sin. But part three is, God is loving God is loving and because God is loving he will provide the penalty he will provide the payment of the penalty that the law demands we see this in the old testament guys when <coughs> when Abraham is is headed to the mountain to offer his son Isaac the only the only time God ever asks Isaac uh, or asks Abraham for something when he doesn't give him a, another promise linked to it. He just says, take your son, your only son, whom you love, to the mountain that I will show you and offer him to me. And Abraham on his way, his son asks him, Dad, where are we going? We got the wood. We got the fire. Where's the offering? And Abraham prophetically, I believe, spoke to his son and said, God will provide himself the lamb. In uh, Hebrew, it sounds like this. Yahweh Yideh. God will provide himself the lamb. God, a loving God, will provide the payment for the penalty. A righteous God requires a payment. A holy God cannot overlook it. So the will of God as he looks, as he, as he lays out his purpose for mankind, is to sanctify, to set apart you and I into the family of God. To set apart those believing. This is God's purpose. It's based on the reason of the Father, but also based on the redemption of the Son. The Father has this, this plan. This is what the Word declares to us. To make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Was Jesus not perfect? We'll talk about that in a second. First, I want you to understand that the captain, that word captain, is also used in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Listen to how it's used there. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Same word for captain. It's also used in Acts 5.31. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior. Same word. That word comes to mean first above all others. He's the author. He's the prince. He's the king. He's the preeminent one. He's the captain of our salvation. So we see that sanctifying, setting apart you and I into the family of God is accomplished through the redemption of the Son. And He does that. He does that by making Him perfect through suffering. It's an interesting concept. It means, it doesn't mean that Jesus, the scripture lays out for us that Jesus learned obedience 
through the things he suffered. That doesn't mean that Jesus was ever disobedient. What it means is that Jesus was always obedient, but in eternity, he had never suffered. What happens when you and I suffer? What happens when things happen and we don't like? When life takes a disappointing turn? More often than not, what happens is we fail. How do we fail? We get mad at God. We get angry at God because He has allowed this circumstance in our life. He's allowed this, this thing, whatever it might be, to enter into our life. And the Son of God, He had never experienced that in all of eternity. So He's made complete, perfect. Because He came and suffered and did not fail. He did not blame God. He did not get angry with God. He came and he bore his suffering. And through suffering, he entered into tested and proven obedience. See, prior to the suffering, it would just be a theory. The theory would be, well, the Son of God, he'd have been able to suffer without falling. Jesus came and said, no, the Son of God will suffer without falling. We're going to see as we work our way toward the end of this chapter, there's a reason for that in the incarnation. Why? Because, because he can be a faithful high priest to you and me. Because you're not coming before a God who doesn't understand suffering. You come before a God who is intimately aware and involved in suffering. He accomplishes by his redemption, setting us apart into the family of God. You see, we will never attain to the glory of God unless we have someone to follow. Jesus Christ, he shows us the way. Someone has to come and rescue us and lead us to glory. And that's what Jesus Christ is done. So we see this being sanctified into the family of God. It's based on the reason and the will of the Father. It's based on the redemption of the Son, what Jesus Christ has wrought for us on the cross. But it's also based in our relationship to Adam. Always based there. Look, for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. Both our Lord and all believers have a common ancestry, humanity. It also speaks to the fact that we all also have unity. That because of that, we are all found in Christ. At one time, the book of Romans tells us that you and I were in Adam. We're just human beings, broken, failing, falling. But Jesus Christ becomes a captain of our salvation through his work of redemption. He, on the cross and through the resurrection, shows you and I the way. Now, by faith, we are not in Adam, we are in Christ. And if we're in Christ, then we are following him. He's showing us the way to glory. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. We want to follow Him. In Acts 17, 26, it says this, And He made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. He made all men from one blood. There's only one race on the planet, folks. Human race, that's it. Everything else is just stupid. It's, it's mankind and his prejudice and his brokenness coming out. But we are all under one, Adam. And Jesus Christ came to enter into Adam so he could lead us out of Adam. That we could follow him and be found in Christ. So we see that he's sanctifying us. He's setting us apart into the family of God by the will of the Father, by the redemption of the Son, by the incarnation that He came in Adam to lead us into Christ. And then finally we see it's based on the revelation of God's Word. God doesn't do anything that He doesn't put in His Word. God's Word tells us it's our, <clears throat> it is our ultimate foundation. One of the 
sad things is we live in sad days. The Bible told us that these days would come when men would not abide sound doctrine. I heard a guy, very famous guy, preaches on Sunday to 32,000 people. So we're not anywhere close to that, right? There are not that many in... We've got to go all the way to Twin to get that many people, right? The, around here, we head in every direction. I hit 32,000 people. You know what he told 32,000 people? Famous preacher, famous father. He said <clears throat> to 32,000 people that when you have grown up faith, you don't need the Bible anymore. Your faith doesn't hinge on the Bible because we know that the Bible, we don't have to defend it. We just need to hold fast to our own reason. What in the world are you talking about? You cannot abandon And the funny thing is, then he went to the Bible to explain it all. Wait a minute, you just said we don't need that. If we don't need that, why are you still talking about it? But the Word of God tells us in the last days that's what's going to happen. People are going to throw it out. Why? They're going to say, man, this is an old document. It really can't speak to us today. But that the Word of God tells us is living and powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword. That it's able to divide between the thoughts and the intent of the heart. That the Word of God is our foundation that we hold to. You abandon the Word of God, you've lost it all. There's nothing to hold on to. God, when, when He moves, when He does things, the Bible said He spoke to us in times past through the prophets. What do we read in the Old Testament? That's how we're reading, that's how the Old Testament comes to us. But in these last days, He's spoken through His Son. That's the New Testament, Jesus Christ <coughs> revealing God's purpose and plan. We have to hold fast to the foundation of the Word of God. In Hebrews 2 verse 12, He refers to three scriptures as he talks about this idea of making Jesus the captain, the author, the prince of our salvation. He says, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. So in the Word of God, we see His declaration to His brethren. Jesus came. He was incarnate. He, he came in the flesh. So for what purpose? So He could gather us up as His brethren. I will declare your name to my brethren. Psalm twenty-two, twenty-two. I will declare your name. Father, I will declare your name to my brethren. What did Jesus say? What did He tell the disciples He was there to do? I'm going to declare the Father's name to you. Look, you don't know the unknowable God like I do. You don't know the invisible God. You can't see Him. So what's the word declare? The only begotten, the one and only unique Son who's inside the Father, in the bosom of the Father, He declares, reveals Him to us. That's what the word declares. Jesus Christ shows us God. In fact, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, says he's in the very form of God. Very form. That word form is the word morphe. How, how could we relate that today? Uh, DNA. That's what it means. He has the DNA of God. He's God. He didn't consider it something to be grasped to or held on to. He emptied himself, made himself of no reputation, came as a man so that he could say to the brethren, Hey guys, let me tell you what the Father's like. Let me tell you what Yahweh is like. If you and I had to get a message across to an ant, how would we do it? You yell at it? Yeah, that'd get it through, huh? Stepping on him might get the message through. Look, you and I know, how, we, how can we get a message to an ant? The only way that I could tell an ant anything is if I could, what? Become an ant. And now, I could communicate. What do we have? The unknowable, invisible God. That's exactly what he did. For what purpose? 
For what purpose? So that he could make a declaration to his brethren. I declare. Jesus said, yes, we together will be heirs and joint heirs together with him, right? Part of what? The family of God. Setting us apart into the family of God. He told us in his word. In Psalm twenty-two, twenty-two, I will declare your name, Yahweh. I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. He also has dependence on the Father. In Isaiah 8, 17, the second quote says, And I will wait on the Lord who hides his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope or put my trust in him. What do we see? We see Jesus showing us the way. What way is he showing us? He put his entire, he put his everything into the hands of the Father, didn't he? And from the cross, the last thing he speaks is, Into your hands I commit my spirit. Man, I give you it all. At the, at the garden of Gatshmone in Gethsemane, as he, as he was there in Gethsemane crying out to the Lord, what did he say? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. I give all of me to you. I trust in you. Jesus came to show us the way. To set us apart into the family of God. So that we could be sanctified. So that we could be set apart. So we could be in the family. How does he do it? He does it by basing, basing this on the revelation of God's word. We see it in God's reason and his will. We see it in the redemption of Jesus Christ. We see it here based on the revelation of God's word. His dependence on the Father. The declaration to his brethren. And finally, his description of the ones that the Father gave him. That's Isaiah 8.18, the third quote. Here am I and the children whom the Lord has given me. He came to bring many sons to glory. Spoken of in the Word. The Word said that's what Messiah is going to do. He's going to bring many sons to glory. He's going to come and pay the price that a righteous, holy, and loving God requires. So God becomes that sacrifice and He does the work and it's all given to us, shown to us in the Word of God. So the first thing we see in this section of Scripture, He's setting us apart into the family of God. That's how He's bringing many sons to glory. He's setting us apart into the family of God. That's one. The second thing that we see that He's accomplishing here for us is He's setting us free from Satan's power and bondage. He's setting us free. He first, he accomplished bringing many sons to glory. How? By setting us apart into the family of God. Secondarily, by setting us free from Satan's power and bondage. Look at verse 14. Inasmuch then, as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same. That through death, He might destroy him (coughs) who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. How does he set us free from Satan's power and bondage? One, (coughs) he descends into humanity. The same way you and I are flesh and blood, he became flesh and blood. Isn't that what it says? Inasmuch as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, the children, those, the sons whom he's bringing to glory, he himself also shared in the same. He became flesh. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with, face to face, with God. And the Word was, in his very DNA, God. And the Word became flesh. He entered into Adam so he could show us how to enter into Christ. And we can follow. Being in Christ is everything, guys. Everything is being in Christ. So the first thing we see is based on the fact that he became flesh. He became flesh. He came. Now the Bible very clearly teaches this is not the beginning of the existence of Jesus Christ. Remember, John 1, in the beginning... Before there was a beginning, there was the Word. In the beginning was the Word, past tense. In the beginning of time, before the first tick of the clock, the Word was. And the Word was face to face with God. And the Word was in His very DNA, God. So He is 
preexistent. When he spoke to the scribes and the Pharisees, and they're holding, hanging all their hope on Abraham, Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and was glad. And they said, you're not 50 years old, even. How could you have possibly seen Abraham, which would require him to be thousands of years old? And Jesus said, before Abraham ever existed, I am eternal God. Before Abraham was, I am. That's what Jesus said. That's what he declared. So, coming in the flesh, descending into humanity, this is the incarnation. So, he sets us free by Satan's power and bondage, by one, coming in the flesh. Second, by his death. That through death, he might destroy him who had the power of death. That Jesus, through death, would destroy the power of death. A perfect example of this is in C.S. Lewis's book, children's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, right? You guys remember the book? If you never read it, you should read it. C.S. Lewis, incredible Christian mind, very intense philosopher. In The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there's a scene where Aslan, who is the picture of Jesus Christ, God, who is a lion, dies for Prince Edward, who had committed this traitorous sin. And so... He was required to die, and Aslan said he would die in his place. And so he laid on the great stone table, the place where the payments were to be made. And the, the, the witch, the bad people that are part of that story, they kill him. And when he dies, the stone table breaks. Why? Because he just destroyed death. Because he who knew no sin died for the sinner. That the sinner might have righteousness of God and eternal life. So, this is what he does. By death, he destroys death. When Jesus died on the cross, God, the, the only perfect sacrifice ever offered in all of history, up on that cross, when he died, it was sufficient For the sin of all mankind who will ever and could ever and should ever exist. The blood of Jesus Christ is able to wash us clean. For everyone who bows the knee, confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord, believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead. Hey, man, it's enough. It's enough. Will everyone do it? No, but the blood's enough. The atonement has been given. The price has been paid. The price has been paid that through death, he would destroy him who had the power of death. That word destroy is a word, kardagezai. It means to render inoperative, to mean that it won't work. It's ineffective. Death is ineffective now. They say, oh, what do you mean Jesus destroyed death? We still die. Yeah, but you know what death is? It's a doorway to peace. Death is a doorway that leads us to the presence of Almighty God. Death is not separation from God. Death is not judgment of God and the wrath of God poured out. Death is a birthday in heaven. That's what death is. That's why the, the Paul would write, Death, where's your sting? That's why Paul would say, don't fear man. What can man do to you? All man can do is kill you. What's that do? Put you in the presence of God. Well, that's not very problemsome, is it? All he can do is put you in the presence of God that through death he might render death ineffective. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 through 15 says this, And you... Being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He, Jesus Christ, has made alive together with Him, having forgiven you, how many trespasses? All trespasses. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. That's the law. Which was contrary to us. That means we couldn't keep it. 
And he has taken it out of the way. How has he taken it out of the way? He nailed it where? To the cross. To the perfect one, the one who perfectly kept. And when this occurred, what happened? Here's what he declares. He has disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. That moment that Jesus Christ died, was in the ground, three days, rose. That was the ultimate defeat. The battle's over. We're just waiting for the return of the king. But the battle's over. That's why the word would declare that today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Now is the time to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He has destroyed death. 1 John 3, 8 says that he who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested. The Son of God was made flesh. That he might destroy what? The works of the devil. He destroyed the works of the devil. What's this saying? He is our forerunner. He becomes a human being. He suffers and dies in our place. He rises from the dead victorious and he enters into glory. Why? So that he might lead many sons to glory. If we follow him. Follow me. Now what Jesus said? Take up your cross how often? Daily. Take up your cross daily and what? Follow me. Where? To glory. Follow me to glory. I often say when people say something, they got the easy part over with, huh? I'm going to lose some weight. That, Jackie, that's the easy part. What's the hard part? Saturday, I got to go to the men's breakfast. There's going to be 50 pounds of bacon right there on a plate. I can, I can pass just about anything. On that hardly I can pass it all, but bacon. Can't pass bacon. I will stop for bacon. The easy part is, is providing lip service. What are we supposed to? That's why Romans 10, 9, and 10 has two parts to it. Confess the Lord Jesus, and what's the other part? Believe. Confess and believe. Right? Believe. Believe. We've got to put our faith and trust. If my faith and trust is in Jesus, if He is my ultimate, if He's my centrality, if He's the one I'm following, it's going to be, you're going to be able to tell, right? Can't you tell? Does it mean I'm not ever going to mess up? Nope. If I mess up, what's the Word of God tell for me? What did He rot by His great salvation that I don't want to neglect? He wrought forgiveness for my sins, didn't He? So he just asked me to live a life of repentance where I come to him and say, God, forgive me. I'm a knucklehead. Forgive me of my sins. And he says he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I cast all those things on him. I'm following Jesus. What other option you got? Man, don't neglect so great a salvation. Look at what Jesus Christ has wrought for us. Well, when we look at it again, he's defeating, setting us free from Satan's power and bondage. How did he do it? He became man. By death, he destroyed death. And then he delivers us. He delivers us. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The Bible says God set us free of fear of death. You see it all the time. There are certain people you look into their eyes who have been serving the Lord and they're not afraid. I, I'm reminded, you remember when the fellows came to talk about the chaplains that were in Sudan? Many of us support uh, different chaplains that are part of the, the Lions of Judah in Sudan to protect women and children. And those guys, their faith is so strong, they, they, are, they, they can... <clears throat> the, the, they can have a weapon, they can do whatever they want, they're, they're free to fight any way they want to. But the, the closer they get to the Lord, the more often they put them down. And they say, I don't need that. <clears throat> and they pray, Lord, don't let them bullets hit us. And they go out, and the, 
the the what do they call it the the is it LRA Lord's Resistance Army the guy that was kidnapping all the kids uh, you guys look into it you'll see it but the but they're doing battle with them all the time on the front lines running around just praying just teaching people not to not to run away but to but to stand and fight in the power of Jesus Christ and lot, many of them have died. Oh, is that the, the defeat? When they died, where do they go? What do you think Jesus was doing with these guys standing, bullets flying everywhere, and they're standing out and telling people, don't be afraid, you don't have to be afraid. Jesus Christ is going to take care of you, He's going to watch over you, He's going to keep you, and they go battle after battle after battle. And life is hard. And one day God says, you know what, this is enough, bring them home. So a bullet finds him, and he stands before Jesus Christ, the captain of his salvation. What do you think Jesus is doing then? You don't think he's throwing his arms around him? You don't think he's looking into his eyes and saying, well done! Welcome home. And I guarantee that guy is not depressed. He's not bummed. Gosh, you know, I don't have to live every day in battle anymore. I don't have to... Worry about all those bullets flying and all the people dying and all the stuff going on. Yeah, I'm sure it just breaks their heart. Being in glory. Don't neglect this great salvation that Jesus Christ gives to us. He's delivered us from fear. We don't have to be afraid. 1 John 4.18 Listen, it says, There is no fear in love. How much fear is in love? None. How many of us struggle with fear? Okay, let's read it again. There is, how much fear? No fear in love. No fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Oh no, Jackie, i got to try to have more love. How do I do that? Well, good news. You don't got to do nothing. Do you know that Romans 5, 1 through 5 says that the love, the agapeo, the love of God is poured out in your heart by the Holy Spirit. That doesn't sound like something you got to do, does it? But what do I got to do? I got to follow Jesus. I got to keep him central. I got to say, he's it. I confess him. I believe in him. And he says, he'll pour his love in your heart. You don't got love in your heart? Get closer to Jesus. Get closer. Because it just happens. It just happens, man. This last... What day is it? Sunday. You think I'd be able to remember that. Last Friday, we went out to... Uh, minister at the mosque during prayer time or just as prayer time finishes and the guys are coming out. Once upon a time, my only feeling towards them would have been hate. Marine Corps raised me well. And I learned real quick how to hate my enemies and want to see their destruction. And that's all I would have thought about it. But God, who is rich in mercy, and the great love with which He has loved us, it takes my heart, and every once in a while He pulls it out, and He shows it to me. And I go, whoa, that's kind of black. And He points out areas I need to clean up. Look, <clears throat> I, don't, I don't minister to, to, to them because I hate them. I don't, I don't go to talk to him for any other reason than the fact that Jesus Christ came to lead many sons to glory. And there's only one name under heaven by which men must be saved. And that name is not what they think it is. That name is Jesus and the Bible's very clear that I'm supposed to do what? Love my enemies. Do good to those who hate me. 
By the way, you remember who spoke those words? Jesus. What are we supposed to do? Not neglect our great salvation. What are we supposed to do? Follow him, ain't we? Yeah? Follow him. Follow his example. Follow in his ways. And I pray. I'm not telling you guys that you got to come with us when we go or do any of that stuff. I'm just telling you, there are people in your circle that God has already told you that you need to be a witness to. And there are scary verses in the Bible that say, don't deny Jesus before men. Ain't there? So don't do that. Pick a side. And then, don't neglect that salvation that Jesus Christ gave you because He's leading many sons to glory. He's going to get us home. Just follow Him. Just follow Him and realize that His perfect love will cast out fear. He's delivered us from the fear of death. Delivered. Past tense. He does delivered us from the fear of death. And then, verse 16, this setting us free from the power and bondage of the devil is also based on his decision to help Israel, the children of Israel. Look at what he says. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to who? The seed of Abraham. Now, in a, in a larger sense, the seed of Abraham would cover everyone who believes, right? Hebrews is going to tell us that. We haven't got there yet. But Hebrews is going to say Abraham's the father of all who have faith, all who believe. But God has this nation, a nation of Israel, that, that are just as, uh, just as much a bunch of knuckleheads. That was hard to get out. As you and I. They're not bigger failures or lesser failures. They're just as broken because they come from the same family, right? Mankind. God made promises to them and God's going to keep those promises. He says he doesn't give aid to the angels, but he's going to give aid to the seed of Abraham. He's going to give aid to the seed of Abraham. He's there. That's how he sets us free. It's how he sets you and me free. It's how he sets a Jew free. That's how he sets all of mankind free. Because they're still, at the end of the day, there's only one name under heaven by which men must be saved. One name. Not ten, not twenty, one. At the name of Jesus Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess to the glory of the Father. Jesus Christ is Lord, King, Prince, Captain, numero uno. He is it. He is all. Messiah, he died to give aid to the sons of Abraham. Okay, the last thing, running out of time, the last thing, not only is he setting us apart into the family of God, not only has he um, set us free from the power and bondage of the devil, but he has also satisfied the wrath and justice of God against sin. A lot of times people ask this question, they, they don't get this question right, I guess. What am I saved from? We would say, I'm saved from my sins. Well, that's true, but that's not really what you're saved from. You are saved from the wrath of God. That's what we need salvation from. Because apart from salvation, we are children of wrath under the family of Adam. He satisfied the wrath and justice of God. Look at verse 17. Therefore, in all things. How many things? That doesn't mean most. Oh, it's amazing. It means all things. In all things, he had to be made like his brethren. He had to be <coughs> like us. He had to be flesh. That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. Look at this phrase, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. That word propitiation means to satisfy the wrath. To satisfy the wrath of God. Remember I told you God's holy, God's righteous, God's lo loving. He has provided for us, but apart from Jesus Christ, 
There's nothing to save you from the wrath of God. Apart from Jesus Christ, there is nothing to save you from the wrath of God. Jesus Christ, His redemption, His sacrifice, His death, burial, and resurrection paid the price, propitiated, satisfied the wrath of God for you and I. In 1 John 2, 2, it says, And He Himself, Jesus, He Himself is our propitiation for our sins. He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. <coughs> that word propitiation comes from the word hilasterion. Remember I told you, hilasterion is also the word, the Greek word for what? The mercy seat. What was the mercy seat? It was the top to the box of the Ark of the Covenant. What did the Ark of the Covenant hold? All the failures of man. The Ten Commandments, which signified all the law we break. The rod, Aaron's rod that budded, which signifies our constant rebellion against God and His chosen. The bull of manna, which signified our despising God's provision. Why is it called manna? Because mankind wouldn't call it bread from heaven. When Jesus talks about it, you know what He called the manna? Bread from heaven. Your fathers ate bread from heaven. That's what He said. And then what did he say? I am the bread. I am the bread. Mankind despises God's provision. That's all the failure. And when the children of Israel, you read in the Old Testament, when the children of Israel messed up and took the lid off, what happened to them? Boom, dead. Just like that. The enemies of God, they opened it up. What happened to them? Nothing. Why? Because they have no idea what any of that means. But the children of Israel, they knew. They knew that box holds all our failures. And the only thing that keeps us out of the wrath of God is the lid. The propitiation. The mercy seat. That scripture we just read said that Jesus Christ is the mercy seat. He's the covering. He's the satisfaction of the wrath of God. Of God, First John two two, First John four ten <clears throat> says this: In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. He made His Son the mercy seat. You know, the mercy seat was made of pure gold. Gold always speaks of divinity. Absolute God. But there was something else special about that pure gold. you know how it was shaped? It was beaten. Hammered. Because God would become flesh and be hammered. So that you and I could bear the righteousness of God. He became broken for me. So I could be made whole in Christ. To lead many sons to glory. To show us the way to go. Listen to what John. John 3.36 says this. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. How do you have everlasting life? Believe in the Son. Believe. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Romans 10.9 and 10. Confess with your mouth. It requires this to move. Right? Believe in your heart. God raised Him from the dead. And you will be saved. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's no one on the face of the earth who wants to be saved, who goes to Jesus and can't be. Nobody. Nobody. The the provision has been made. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. Just waiting for judgment day. Either you have the mercy seat between you and God, or it's just you before God. And if there's no mercy seat in there, that's wrath. You want to know what that looks like? Revelation chapter 6 through 19. You ever read it? Take a little time. Take a good, hard, long look at the wrath of God. 
It's just and righteous wrath. And Jesus Christ, He's the mercy seat between us and that. Why? Because He bore the wrath for me. That's what the cross was all about. It wasn't nine hours on a cross on a crazy day. That wasn't it. It was the wrath of God. He took my wrath so that I could have a relationship with Him. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3 and 5. Ephesians chapter 2, talking about all kind of different sins. We'll skip that part. Verse 3, it says, Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh. What does that mean? We're all the same broken, same family, right? One blood, we all come from one blood. We're all Adam, we're all broken, we're all sinners. I don't care how good you think you are, you're just as dirty a sinner as the next guy. And apart from Christ, you have the wrath of God. <coughs> we are broken. That brokenness ought to unite us together, among whom all we once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. So we are all separated from God with the wrath of God hanging over our heads. That is the natural state of all mankind. And there is only one name under heaven by which men must be saved. Only one. The name of Jesus. What's the word go on? It says, but God, who is rich in, in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, he made us alive together with Christ. Why? Because he became our propitiation. He is the mercy seat. So that in Him, there is now, therefore, no condemnation. And that's a great salvation. Isn't that a great salvation? It seems like a great salvation. He satisfied the wrath of God. And the last thing, point number four, last thing we're going to look at, is this idea that He accomplishes this, bringing many sons to glory, by sharing in the human life experience. Look what the word declared to us. We just read it a moment ago. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. Why did he do all this? That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. Don't you want a merciful and faithful high priest? I sure wouldn't want to come to a cranky, cantankerous one, would you? <laughs> merciful and faithful. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24 <laughs> says this, but he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Is Jesus ever going to die again? No. So he's going to live forever. How long does a high priest hold the office of high priest? As long as he lives. High priest didn't change until he died. So when will Jesus not be the high priest? Never. He's always going to be the high priest, right? And he's faithful and he's merciful. The, the word declares, therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God. You're not going to go, oh, Jesus didn't have a day in the office today. He wasn't there. No, he's always there. And he's able to save you to the uttermost those who come to God through him. How do we got to come to God? How do we go to God? Through Jesus. Any other way? No other way. We got to go to God through Jesus since he always lives to make intercession for them. Isn't it good news that Jesus is always, he never dies, right? He's never off the clock. He's always doing what? Making intercession for what? Us. Jesus is praying for you. The same thing he said to Peter. Peter, Satan has desired you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. And when you return, strengthen the brethren. Jesus could say the same thing to every one of us. He has prayed for us. So, he's faithful and merciful high priest. What else? He's able to aid those who are tempted. Look at verse 18. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. You don't have a God who can't relate. You don't have a God who doesn't know what it's like to be lonely. You don't have a God that, that doesn't know what it's like to be hungry. You don't, have, you don't have a God that doesn't know what it's like to be hated. 
You have a God that in all ways was tempted, even as you and I are, yet without sin. He never failed. So who else would I want to go to for help? I want to go to Him. He's able to aid me. He's able to show me the way, right? Isn't that the point? He's bringing what? Many sons where? To glory. He's getting us home. How? We follow Him. He's showing us the way. He came like to that ant and He spoke. It's probably even a greater distance to come from God to man than from man to ant. But He came to show us. He came to pay the price so we could follow Him to glory. Man, there is no one, no thing greater than Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, who has come to this world to bring many sons to glory. Amen? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray.